Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 136 of the podcast, everybody, with me, Dan Prosser, and Andrew Frankel. Now, this episode of the podcast turned into a bit of a ranty one. I don't think we planned it that way, but it did, because we're talking about driving etiquette, driving standards, lane discipline on the motorway, all that sort of stuff, you know, the things that wind us up on the road. But I suspect it's the kind of episode that will resonate with a lot of you. So we'll get straight into it. Let us know what you think. Do you think generally that driving standards have become worse over recent years? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, not dramatically so, but, you know, I'm very old and I've been, um, you know, I've been cheesed off with the behaviour of other road users for 40 bloody years. Blimey, I've only just realised As long that. as you've been a road user, I suppose. As long as I've been a road user, yeah. Um, but have they got worse? I think my perception of them has got worse, but that's what—that's probably what happens when you get to sort of advanced middle age and you turn into a sort of curmudgeonly old scrote and, you know, <laughs> these things just matter more to you. Because I, I suspect also 40 years ago, I was probably the one causing most of the problems rather than observing them and getting cheesed off by them. But my, But my perception is that they are getting worse the only thing that tends to um i'll say two things well firstly is that um they got a lot worse when uh covid hit because the roads were much less busy and there's nothing which is more likely to get people to behave badly than giving them the space in which to do so if you're completely gridlocked there's very little people can do um and so I mean, I guess when they were completely empty, then there was no need to. And also, but then fuel, the fuel price of fuel went through the roof and everyone is now driving really slowly because they can't afford to fill their cars. So actually, I'd say at the moment, they're probably getting a bit better. But um, it sort of ebbs and flows. But generally, I would say the progression is towards, uh, as in society, I don't want to sound profound about this, but I think we, are, we just live in a, you know, a less considerate, more selfish um, era. More's the pity. But then again, I, I suspect there's never been a generation of person who doesn't feel that about, you know, the way things are today. Well, of course, yeah, we're all doomed to that same fate, aren't we, to believe things are worse now um, than they used to be. But I suppose a big part of the topic here is consideration for other road users, isn't it? And you talk about a slightly more selfish society. Um, and if consideration for other road users is dropping away, then the road's just going to become a terrible place to be. Don't we all just need to get along? <laughs> well, we do. We do. But it's, you know, it's it's difficult because, you know, you have people out there with such varying driving standards yeah. you know there are people who spend their lives on the roads and actually i think people who do that usually tend to be pretty good drivers you then you've got people who need to drive but do so very occasionally um and maybe quite scared drivers or timid drivers or they might be quite old um mm. there's the whole bicycle thing which has been increasingly yeah. particularly around where i live um you know that uh, requires a whole new level of 
uh, discipline and observation and self-control um, and, and what I wish. I'm, believe me, I'm not going to get into the cycling thing here because I did it once before um, and said something which um, some cycling community took, got the wrong end of um, in a blog I wrote for motorsport and they crashed the website. The only way you could comment <laughs> on the story that I wrote was by, join, was by joining up, which is free to join, the motorsport website. And so many people tried to join the website just so that they could call me every name under the sun. Uh, it crashed the website. So I'm not going to get into the, um, you know, I mean, fundamentally, I believe that you know, cyclists are entitled to use the road as anybody else. But what I do wish is that motorists and cyclists could reach a better accommodation with each other. Um, and I think that there is, you know, there is guilt on both sides. Um, and I think if motorists tried to understand the needs and requirements of cyclists and vice versa, yeah. Um, the world would be a much better place, but and, and and you know that it can because actually, if you go to places where you know cycling has been a way of life for generations, like France or Italy, everybody gets on perfectly well, and it just seems to happen. And you know, you never see these terrible sort of contretemps or queues of traffic, you know, behind a peloton of cyclists because um you know everybody understands that everybody else has got to get where they're going whenever it is they're going to get there and people make allowances and but we, it just seems to be in this country just something which is in a process of being developed at the moment and that sort of innate understanding between the two road users hasn't been reached yet so you know i'm not apportioning blame to either side at all because uh, i think probably both sides are equally to blame but um mm. yeah well it comes down to empathy and understanding again doesn't it and i think if does. we all we all use the road um even just for a month, you know, if all drivers got on a bike for a month and all cyclists got in the cars and whoever else got on a motorcycle, you know, if we had just a better understanding of... Yes, see how the other road users, users. Yeah, exactly. If we all understood how other road users are vulnerable or frustrated or whatever, we yeah. understand one another. We just make allowances. And it's, it's, the, it's when we um, become tribal about it and absolutely adamant that everyone else is in the wrong... That's when it becomes combative, and that you know the road should not be a place of combat. It just seems no, obvious, be, be, because you know when you have a you know a lump of metal weighing considerably more than a ton coming up against mm. you know a a rider on a bicycle, you know it just you know it's well I mean, the, the consequences are obvious. Um, I ha I have um, you know I used to cycle a lot when I was young, and I've been thinking about taking it up again. Uh, and one of the reasons I don't is the the big main road that sort of goes up past my house is a very, very popular cycling route. Um, and I've looked at it, and I'd just be scared. Mm. Because, it, you know, it goes up and down the Y Valley, and you're in and out of shadow, and it's a, you know, it's a main road. Um, people go fast down there in their cars. There are lots of blind brows. Um, and lots of times when you're coming you know, in and out of trees, so you go from light to shade to light to shade. Um, and, you know... I guess I guess I will have to do it, and I will just be high vised. Um, you know, I'll be like mm. this massive yellow beacon going up <laughs> and down the road. But I'll, I'll still be scared, and I don't want to indulge in a recreational activity and be scared while I'm doing it. Um, it's just maybe I'm just very timid. But you know, and, and, and you get you know vast numbers, particularly in the summer, of cyclists going up and down this road, having a great time. Um, and I, ju I just think, would I, would I really want to do that? It's mm. yeah. I, 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 do, I feel I feel vulnerable on the road <clears throat> on a bicycle. I don't do it much, but any time I do, I feel vulnerable. Also, in Bristol, we have um, those electric scooters, um, yeah. which are actually a, they're a great way for nipping around town. I do use them sometimes. Do you use but them? Yeah, they're they're brilliant for sort of shorter journeys, um, and it, normally it's fine. But you do feel vulnerable again, and you just think if someone in their car or on a uh, in a van or a truck isn't paying attention mm. it's not going to take much it's not going to take a huge error of judgment for the consequences to be really vast and i think once you understand that that some people genuinely are vulnerable on the road it gives you a yeah. greater understanding of their needs um, and, and that's the thing you don't actually need someone to be driving like an ass or being no. inconsiderate you just need you just need i don't know so, you know to, to be going down a street you know with parked cars or someone just opens a door mm. Yeah, because they haven't checked, or, or, or they just, yes, or or they've checked, but probably not as thoroughly mm. as they should have done, and um, you know, terrible things happen. And it's yeah, you know, I got driven into last week. Okay, uh, I had an accident last week. I mean, it was completely inconsequential, and ninety-eight percent of it polished up. But nevertheless, I was going down 
a two-lane road, so two lanes going in the same direction. Uh, I was in a large black Nissan, and a bloke in a van just moved into the lane I was occupying at the time. So the front of his van hit the back of the Nissan, and as I said, the yeah. damage wasn't great. But you know, if you can fail to see mm. a Nissan Aria, which he did, um, then you know that's what makes me worried about you know some poor you know man or woman on a bicycle. But anyway, that's not really what we're about to, here to talk about, is it? <laughs> well, let me give you something that really annoys me on the road. Um, Go on. And this is a very recent thing. This is. Um, I don't particularly mean to attack any individual group, but this is delivery riders on their scooters and mopeds um, with their phones in front of them. They might be Deliveroo or Uber Eats or whatever, but they're tapping away on their screens as they're riding along. I see it. Sometimes I see them holding their phones while riding along, scrolling away, checking on their orders or whatever, but they're literally using their phones as they ride along. Um, uh, I, 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 surely those apps should just lock out when the vehicle's in motion so they just they display the map and the yeah, routes but uh, which technologically is a very easy thing to do it's extremely um, easy to do and so i think the question that arises from that is what responsibility lies on the company because i presume they're doing it not because they're bored or because you know that's kind of like a fun thing but i presume they're doing it because they're on some performance related yeah. Um, package and you know if you have to stop at the side of the road to you know to check off the delivery you've just made and find out where the next collection is going to be that's all time isn't it so it's all effectively yeah. money so the terms of your employment and of course they'll be in a small print saying you must drive safely don't yeah. do this don't do that but the very fact that they allow it mm. and the very fact that you know these people who get paid you know probably a minimum wage um just realize that you know if they can take and, and the problem is until it goes wrong um, you know, it's, it's, it seems like such a, you know, a simple, obvious thing to do. Um, yeah. And it's only when, you know, it's, it's suddenly you go from just bimbling along, not paying quite as much attention to, that, to utter catastrophe yeah. in a quarter of a second. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're and absolutely right. I think, of course, it, and, it, and it must happen. And it, mm-hmm. I, to, to, to me, it's, of course, it's the fault of the person that's doing it, but there is a greater responsibility on behalf of the people who, employ them don't pay them very much and if not actively uh, if not overtly then certainly actually put these pressures on these people to mm. you know to behave the way that they do yeah yeah no question about it um i know you've got a list well <laughs> i mean i'm looking down the list and there is you know there's so much obvious stuff um you know, we're getting towards the winter now, aren't we? And you know, increasingly, you see people fog lights. Do, do fog lights really wind, wind you up when there's no fog about? Well, they do. Or but I also pe- see, I also see people driving with their fog lights and side lights on. I think because they think it looks cool. And that's been happening for years. They can't, <laughs> surely they can't see a thing. And it doesn't look quite striking when you've got two low down fog lights and just side lights on, but. It's dark. Goodness sake. You need your headlights. That's what they're for. Yeah. No, what really winds me up is when it's raining a bit, people put their fog lights on. Yeah. Uh, And what they they appear not to realise is once they do that, you can't see their brake lights. Mm. Yeah. So if you you suddenly, if they suddenly have to stop, you're not going to see it because those fog Mm. lights are so bright. Um. And, and, you know, it's obviously, it's always at the worst when you've just come out of a bank of fog and there's no fog around and everybody just forgets to turn their and i don't know what you do about that because it's you know it's an understandable um error to make but i don't know <laughs> this is do the start think... of the alpha papa um steve coogan alan partridge film isn't it <laughs> he's shouting he's driving along shouting at someone your fog lights are on it's not foggy we've literally descended into partridge <laughs> I've, i i i i have become alan it's been a lifelong ambition of mine I'm finally getting there uh, do you think uh, as someone who's lucky enough to drive um, in all sorts of different places, do you think the driving standards in the UK are worse than those you find abroad? Or are there particularly countries where you go to and there's just terrible driving? Um, well, if we're just talk, sort of talking Europe, because if you go to, I don't know, Sri Lanka or somewhere, the, oh, right, well, okay, the driving yes. is outrageous. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, yeah, Europe. so I, I, particularly motorways. 
I mean, that's the obvious one, isn't it? And it doesn't help that our motorways are stacked. They are so busy. When you get on an auto route in France, it's a dream. You know, the country's twice the size at least. Similar, slightly smaller population, and so the, the roads are much quieter. But they just yeah. flow, unless you're near one the, of the big cities. Yeah, but you also, have to, you also have to pay for them, which is another reason. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But no, there's no question that particularly lane discipline on our motorways is appalling. You can see them coming, can't you? Do you have... Do you, th- do you, th- do you subscribe to the, to, to the notion that, I don't know, you know, the most aggressive drivers tend to drive BMWs? Or do you think it's a nice like, across the board <laughs> thing? Oh... God, we're going to upset some people, aren't we? I well, I mean, I, actually, well, I say it because I, I, I've heard it so many times, and I, yeah. I have seen a lot of very aggressively driven BMWs as well. But I've seen an enormous number of aggressively driven Range Rovers as well, um, mm. and Audis, um, mm. and, and probably, if I think about it, probably almost. I'm not sure I've seen very many aggressively driven Kia Picantos, but um, <laughs> but you can always see them, can't you? It's you know, if you drive for long enough, and this is something I've been trying to teach my daughters who. You know, who have both been driving for a little bit now. Um, but it's something you can't learn in a test. That just that sort of innate instinctive understanding of your environment and what is going on around you. And you will just suddenly, without looking for it, you will just be aware that there's an idiot 100 yards behind you. Uh, mm. And he's, and I say he because it's always a he, he's coming your way. Because you can just see, you can just see that, the, you know, in your peripheral you can see all the traffic seems to be moving one direction apart from one little bit of it which is going from left to right to left to right um and you can see some moron carving his way through the traffic um (laughs) if he tries to do that to you and he's and he's steaming up your inside would you just sort of close the gap a little bit so he couldn't just dive would you think okay i'm not going to reward that behavior by indulging him letting him get in or do you actually think actually road safety is the far more important criteria and me driving too close to the car in front to stop him getting in that gap isn't the right thing to do. <clears throat> I'm ashamed to say I, I do sometimes close that gap, <laughs> but it's clearly, it's clearly not the right thing to do. If someone wants to be a knob, you, just, you should just let them get on with it. But it is frustrating. But, but the but trouble the is, wait, by you... doing it, and they take, they take your gap to the car in front. They, close, they cut of it course. in half, don't they? Yes. So suddenly they put you in a dangerous position exactly and then you have to slow down to to, yeah. to create the gap and you know and, and you have rewarded their terrible behavior but to me i'm afraid it's an awful thing to say i mean because i used to be you when i was your age i was you i'd close the gap um because i would just because in my mind i would think haha if i do this then he'll learn his lesson and he won't do it again no yeah which is true, a yeah. which is a cobbler's yeah. Um, and B, even if he doesn't, there are so many millions of others just like him who will. Um, it's a completely futile gesture. Mm. Um, so now I will almost always let him get away with it, um, which is awful. But well, it's not awful, actually. I think it's the right thing to do. But I, mean, yeah, I, I, really so. don't, I, I really don't like it. But I think it is... I mean, I just try to think to myself, not what is the morally correct thing to do here, which is questionably close the gap, but what is the safe thing to do, <laughs> which I'm afraid is to let him go away with it and to indulge his appalling behaviour and let him go and do it to somebody else. It's terrible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but safety should come first. It really should. But the, the thing about lane discipline on the motorway is that, you know, when, particularly a busy motorway, if you observe proper lane discipline, you just get boxed in endlessly and you don't go anywhere. Yeah. If you're yeah. the only one pulling left every time, pulling left, you just get someone sitting on your on the outside of you, maybe in your in your blind spot. You can't get out. You find yourself boxed in behind a lorry, and it just it it doesn't work if you're the only one doing it, which no, is massively frustrating. No. And, and 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 usually you are, and so yeah. you know again the way things are configured or the way I don't know, I don't know what it is, um, but you know it rewards bad behaviour, doesn't it? The, this still strikes me as utterly, utterly mad, but there is no motorway element on the driving test or any need for your oh. driving instructor to we, show we, you a motorway to, before you take your test. We, we've, we've done this before, haven't we? There is no requirement to drive in the dark. Yeah. You, know, you know, as well as anybody who's ever driven it, you know that driving in the dark is a completely different mm. um, thing to driving, uh, requiring a different, a, a different skill set and... And, and and it's you know and it's scary. I mean you know my, my children who you know one of whom's been driving for 
five years, one has been driving for two years. Um, you know, one of them is still doesn't like driving in the dark. Um, mm. And we'll do it if she has to, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try quite hard not to for, for exactly that. And I think that if she had gone out with i mean i did when i was teaching her um you know we we would go out in the dark um and we would go out in the rest another thing i yeah. mean I, you can't guarantee the weather when you learn to drive but there will be wet day and, you know there's no requirement for you to have ever driven on a wet road before um and to understand about braking distances and and everything else um yeah and, and, and i think that the test is is not fit for purpose and i thought this for a no. for, for, for a very long time but you're right you know the fact the very fact that you have never driven onto a motorway you have never had that you could probably still remember the first time you had to drive down a slip road onto a fast moving busy motorway in your you know in your little shit box because that's yeah. what everyone drives when they're 17 um it's scary isn't it and mm, it, you know it and, and you and you can see the end of the of the slip lane coming and there's a there's a lorry there and he's not going anywhere and do you, oh do you try to out, out accelerate it and get in front of it or do you just slam mm. on the brakes and go in behind it but there's someone already behind you trying to do the same and it's just like ah yeah yeah you know, it's it's, even, it's massively daunting for particularly for a young nervous driver it really is absolutely yeah and but, but they what apart from educating themselves which clearly is what everyone should do but it's not likely to happen how how on earth are these people supposed to understand how motorways are supposed to function you know, no one's told them. Well, Probably. they've read it in the highway code, haven't they? You know, but oh. reading isn't doing, Absolutely. is it? Uh, and motorways have, you know, I'm a, I like to think of myself, I'm clearly not, but I like to think of myself as being a sort of um, a great, what's the word? I have a great interest in the language of other road users. Mm. And I like looking at other cars and the way they address the road yeah uh and and there is so much you can learn about how a car is being driven you know it doesn't have to be weaving around doing anything stupid you can just look at the positioning um you can tell whether i can always tell when someone's on their telephone um i can always tell that you know the the slightly distracted driver um and you know and whether they keep slightly to the left or the right of their lane you know they distance and and whether they're hovering and, and you can tell if someone's going to try to overtake the car in front long before they've moved out, before they've indicated or anything else, because of the way their car moves relative to the thing, you, you know, they, and, you, and you just learn all this stuff, which you can't teach. Um, but if you'd been out and had, you know, had had to have a number of hours on a motorway before you took your test, you'd have seen all this. You might all learn yeah. it all by rote, but you would have so much better an understanding of it. Um than literally just you know oh you know looking in the highway code and knowing the speed limit seventy miles an hour on a motorway, well, you know <clears throat> that's about most people's understanding, isn't it? That, that's the extent of it. What, what about when you know when you are you've got the cruise control on? Um, yeah, it's not too busy, so you're quite happy just sticking to your speed, um, and yeah. you have a car that comes past you. And then it slows down, so you have to go past it. And then it comes past you again. And you keep doing... You're not changing your speed at all. But you keep going past them, and they come past you. It's annoying, isn't it? You just know it's that absolutely, they're all over the place. It's, it's absolutely bloody if you're... The thing... Well, just exactly... I mean, you will account. I call these people limpets. Yeah. What, what will usually happen is it's, it's usually... I find it happens most sort of very early in the morning on summer days. Um so it's light it happens in the dark as well but basically someone comes along and no one's going very fast uh, and you're spindling on the motorway at you know 70 something miles an hour and someone just appears in your tail and they're a bit too close nothing else on the motorway and so you think well, that's a bit annoying because they're driving a bit too close and so you think well what do i do about that um so i think well okay so i will i'll slow down a little bit because that'll encourage them to overtake me and they slow down too. <laughs> and then you slow down a bit more, and they slow down a bit more. And you thought, okay, fine. Well, well, they clearly don't want to overtake me, so I'll increase the gap. So I'll speed up a bit, and they speed up a bit. And whatever you do, and I've done this with people. I have, you know, and, and, you know, and, and I do it with cruise control, where you can reduce the, your speed by a single mile per hour each time. Mm. You know, you can have twenty mile an hour increments, ten down, ten up, and they just stay there. And you start to get paranoid and you think, oh, they're stalking me. But they're not. They're just using you as their own cruise control. As long as they can see you, yeah. they don't have to think about anything else. Well, that's it. You realise like, you're thinking for them. 
you're thinking for them. And they're not doing it actively. They're not trying to wind you up. They're just not thinking. And, you know, and they just automatically, because they drive so much, they just, you know, they just think, well, I'm behind that car now, so I'm going to stay behind that car. You know, the fact that car is now doing 20 miles an hour less than it was doing five, you know, five minutes ago, literally doesn't occur to them. And so, you know, mm-hmm. what I have done to get rid of Olympus, uh, this is ridiculous, is, but, you know, I've come up to a junction and I've gone off the motorway over the roundabout at the top and straight back on again. <laughs> back on. <laughs> because even if you do, even if you, for instance, you just give it the beans... Yeah. Um, and disappear they'll catch you up and they'll do it again yeah, they will. and even yeah. if you do the reverse and you slow down so much that they have to overtake you and you slow down you give them all the space and all sooner or later when you get back up to what speed you're doing you'll find them again it's bizarre they're like <laughs> magnets they just find you and it god it just winds me up and if they just stayed a sense and it, you know, they're, not, they're really sort of really um you know dangerous tailgating they're just a bit too close so you've got this big motorway uh, there's nothing on it apart from one other idiot who's just 10 yards closer than they should be. Um, okay, here's, here's, here's another thing, which is related, which I'm gonna, why I'm going to mention it. Um, and if anybody listening to this drives an interesting car, you will know this person. This is the person who sees your interesting car and comes up behind your interesting car. Much too close because they don't have a zoom lens on their iPhone. <laughs> So the only way they're going to get a decent photograph of you in your interesting car is to drive on your bumper. But of course, that, that means that they only get the rear shot. So the next thing that happens is they think, <laughs> oh, I'd better come alongside. And so they're driving along with one hand, looking out the side window with their telephone, photographing the side of your car. And then they think, well, we better get a front view too. So they go in front <laughs> of you and then slow down. You must have come across these people, Dan. You must have done. Yeah. I remember being in a... Um a hurricane, Lamborghini Huracan, when it was brand new, one of the first on the road in the UK. And honestly, the number of people in cars and vans coming up alongside you or up behind you with their phones out was frightening. You just realise you're surrounded by people who are not paying attention to what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. And if there's going to be an accident, you're going to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The worst, the worst one I had for that um, was, I'm guessing five years ago, I had a BMW i8 long-termer fabulous mm. car i want to do another i wanted a podcast about i8s and i3s but that's a, that's another subject for another time uh and the attention that got was just ridiculous and i only realized how much attention it got really when i chopped it in for a 911 and became completely anonymous oh, nobody paid me any attention at all and i love that about it mm. Mm. yeah well that's the thing about 911 it's just about anonymous enough it's just another a, car, isn't it? An expensive it's just another car. car yeah. 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 That's why they're brilliant. Um, the whole thing, I think we've said this before, but the first and most important step anybody can take towards be- being a better driver is taking pride in their driving, wanting to be a better driver. And that's, that separates you from probably 80, 90% of people on the road because for the vast majority of people, driving is just a menial task. It doesn't occur to them that you can be good or bad at driving, no more than it occurs to them that you can be good or bad at doing the washing up. They just consider it I'm something that they have to up. do. Well, actually, my other half is as well. So yes, you can be bad at washing up. Is, um, is your other half a dishwasher Nazi? I am married to a dishwasher Nazi. I cannot load a dishwasher without her rearranging it. I, I think this I'm the, the Nazi. <laughs> oh, are you? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Actually, no, you would be, wouldn't you? You would be. And does, we, your, we, does, your, does your washing up get scrutinised? Mine does. Um, no, I think because I probably, we don't put we I'm don't the opposite. we don't put the. I'm the opposite of you. Oh, so you're the scrutinizer? Yeah, I am. Yeah. It, also, in our house, it's not possible to load a dishwasher without endlessly shouting at the dog and telling him to get away. Because get his head out. Yes, we have that. <laughs> Uh, yes um good excellent so how do we how do we get from driving standards to dishwashing nazis (laughs) well the point i was making is that most people don't care whether they're a good driver or a bad driver because it doesn't occur to them that you can be either of those things no it's just driving isn't it it's just Mm. something they don't want to do they accept they have to do and you know well they've passed a test um and therefore they have to be able to do it and that's it yeah yeah um i i actually i mean one of the things i do if i'm on a very very long journey um it shows how sad i am but I will often just really focus uh, on seeing how well I can drive a car because, you know, you don't have to be you know, on a racetrack or on a mountain road to drive a car well. You know, there's, there's a big, big difference between driving a, well, a car 
adequately, safely, and actually driving it work well, even even just on a motorway. Um, and I think it's just a sort of you know good bit of due diligence just to every so often just stop thinking about. I don't know, whatever it is, you know, you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner when you get home or, you know, when you're next going to go to the pub and actually just think about your driving. How are you positioned on the road? Are you in the are you in the right lane? Are you doing the right speed for the conditions? You know, have you anticipated everything else? You know, have a look around yourself. Just try and anticipate stuff. Don't, you know, don't have mm. to react to stuff, you know, act before it happens. And yeah, I find myself doing that quite a lot. But then again, mm. I'm a sad middle-aged bloke. Well, it's good discipline though, isn't it? And you're right about anticipation. That's the, if you're looking far enough ahead of you down the road and just monitoring what's going on, you can always be in the right lane, never have to jump on the brakes or accelerate hard to escape a situation. Um, although it becomes much, much more challenging when the road is very busy and you've got people just jostling for position around you. Um, yeah. Then it becomes a bit of a scrap, doesn't it? Um, so what have you observed on the road, specific incidents that have shocked you or surprised you or made well, you okay. think, wow? This, this isn't specific, but it's a specific set of circumstances. Um, and it's one of the things that I see most often uh, and which I'm sure causes untold numbers of accidents, which is drivers of large suvs thinking the weather doesn't apply to them mm. because they're in a large suv and you're sitting there um and you know whatever you're in you know you can feel the car skipping off the puddles uh, and you can see the bits of the motorway are flooded and you got your speed right down and then somebody you know lights blazing comes steaming up in some massive seven seat barge and you just know what they're thinking they're thinking it's got four-wheel drive it's a four-wheel drive it's an suv it's this is what it's designed for but it's not no you know what they don't know what they don't understand is that all four-wheel drive does is allow is improve the speed at which you can gain it's a traction device it allows Mm. you to gain speed faster on compromised surfaces doesn't help you stop at all no you know and if you've got some big high heavy suv actually that's going to be a lot harder to stop because it's momentum it's it's physics you know and yeah compared to some small light thing um you know there's a lot more momentum going and you see these blokes charging along again yes they are all blokes um and you know it just and particularly in a high performance suv and we have very uh, recent experience of this don't yeah. we? a high performance suv yeah, yeah. might wear quite compromised tires quite focused sporting tires and so actually not be properly um suited to standing water well we can say can't we we're talking about a porsche yeah. cayenne turbo gt which came on pirelli courses mm. which is a it's i mean that is a sort of hybrid road track day tire yeah um with a very shallow tread pattern um and I just don't know whether people who you know have those cars you know think hard enough about um, exactly what's connecting them to the road and the physics of you know two point two tons of car doing eighty five miles an hour you know with vast amounts of water um, mm. and you know and, and obviously the increased risk of you know something happening or them having to come to, come to a halt in a hell of a hurry and it, you know, that really gives me the heebie-jeebies. Mm. Uh, the other thing that also i mean re- i mean genuinely scares me as fog um oh it's awful it's awful and you know I, I i drive incredibly slowly in fog um you know i've been known to give up journeys um because you know i've seen forecasts and i can see what it's on i just think this isn't safe um and you know there will still be someone and again i think and, and usually actually God, I'm resorting to general generalities here, but I, my perception is that it tend to be working vehicles, so like vans and that sort of thing. And again, I think it probably comes down to people with deadlines, people trying to, mm. you know, not miss time slots and earn that a sort living. Of thing. Yeah, earn a living exactly um, because of the pressure their employer puts them under. Um, just steaming on and a kind of hope it'll be kind of all right. Um, and yeah. Yeah, no, it just frightens the hell out of me. I mean, yeah, there, there, there are times on a motorway in thick fog where 30 miles an hour is terrifyingly fast. 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we've all been yeah. in them. Uh, and some people just sort of seem to think, oh, it'll be all right. Mm. Nothing in front of me. And, and I, you're I, worried I, about someone coming up behind you, aren't you? Oh, if you go too goodness, slow. yes. Yeah. 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 So, is that more yes. or less dangerous than driving when you're absolutely bursting for a wee? <laughs> no, I think it's much more dangerous because when you're driving, you're absolutely bursting for a wee. You know, you're, not, you're going to be paying attention, aren't you? <laughs> um, yeah, but it changes your driving, doesn't it? Oh, dear. Um, okay, well, it, what's the most skillful piece of driving you recall seeing on the road? I saw someone avoid an accident um, and it was one of those things where we were I'm just trying to remember, it was a long time ago but we're going down I think we were, I think we were on the M4 and there had been it wasn't a big pile up but two or three cars had got together and I was far enough back so I wasn't going to be involved in it but there was a chap in it was something something like a Vauxhall Calibra sort of mm. slightly sporting coupe um and I can remember thinking to myself, because I was hard on the brakes, thinking I'm going to be okay. And, you know, you're doing that bit where you're actually just checking in the mirror to make sure that somebody isn't going to come piling back at you. But I was aware of this. And I thought, you're going to be in a spot of bother here, mate. Um, and he just did this unbelievable avoid because all the things were still having the accident at the time. They were still pinging off each other. And he went right across all the carriageways and nipped round them on the hard shoulder and kept going. And I just thought that was... But, I mean, you could, what you could argue is that he should never have been that close to it because in the old mm. sort of stop, you know, stopping what you can see thing. But, um, you know, I, I, I hadn't switched on to it soon enough to know whether that was the case. All I saw was the avoid. Um, and that was really very impressive. Mm. Um, I shouldn't, yeah. What about you? I shouldn't celebrate this, and it is naughty, but we were young. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, the, I don't, I would never do this stuff today. But, you know, when you're 17 and you and your mates have just started driving, you you do some silly things, don't you? Um, and w- at night, one evening, <clears throat> well, we, we had this road near us where a bunch of us lived um, that didn't seem to go anywhere. It didn't really connect anything to anything else. And unlike all the other lanes around us, this one was completely open. There were no hedgerows, so you could see all the way along it. And so it's like a little rally stage or something um and we we used to tie ourselves along it um and i had a 1.6 liter focus with 100 horsepower and Very my good. other mate had a 1.2 liter clio with I don't know, a lot less power and so i thought well i've got 100 horsepower he cannot possibly beat me and it's it was probably a third of a mile that way and then you stop turn around and a third of the mile a third of a mile back the other way um, and you'd have someone next to you timing you and I would you know accelerate quickly and um, it was a wiggly little road um, and there were two sort of um, not quite 90 degree corners um, going the same direction but you know quite speedy but definite corners um, and I would break for that and turn in you know what I thought was quickly and accelerate away again and actually I, in hindsight I wasn't driving very quickly at all um, and so I set my time and I thought, 100 horsepower, there's no chance he's going to beat me. Um, what I didn't appreciate was that my mate in his Clio was, at the time, a very promising rally driver. And I knew oh, he I was. But I just, about. Yeah, you do. And I just thought, well, it doesn't matter. I've got 100 horsepower. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was watching him um, come back through the stage. It wasn't a stage. Um, and I was sort of on a grass bank, so I could see most of it. And he, I saw him come up to these two right-handers coming back that way. And he approached the first one, even before he got to the turning point, he was sideways in his little Clio. And he yeah. flashed through this corner, disappeared behind a tree or an earth bank or something. And I thought, he's had a massive crash. I've just witnessed my mate have an enormous crash. And then he approached the next corner in exactly the same attitude, came through that, ne- didn't leave the road at all. He was always under total control of his car and he mm. came across the line and he was literally in each direction five seconds faster than I'd been <laughs> over a third of a focus. mile. I, and I, Ooh. it was Ooh. the most humbling thing. Smart I've a bit. Ever, 
It really did. I could not believe it. Well, it was extremely eye-opening, and it made me realise the difference between a sort of enthusiastic driver and a really massively skillful one. Um, just the level of ability and commitment and speed was well beyond anything I could have imagined. It was no. it, it was extraordinary to witness. We don't do it anymore. <laughs> this sure was a long not. time ago. So, what is the worst piece of driving? that you have witnessed from a passenger seat without there actually being an accident? I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I was a passenger on a launch, Mazda MX-5 launch, um, and the chap driving just misjudged, was going too quickly, misjudged the corner. Um, Didn't spot that there was a big compression in the middle of it. Um, Road was greasy, we were going properly quick, Um, and the car just stepped out. Massive stability control intervention one way massive intervention the other way and only because the systems were good we stayed on the road so without the systems enormous off. accident off into the trees at speed yeah horrendous so mine so my, i might have spoken about this on the podcast before but if it if i did it's probably more than 100 episodes ago so um hopefully if anybody has heard the story it wouldn't have been for a couple of years um the ford street car do you remember that <laughs> Yeah. The convertible car, as launched by yeah. Kylie Minogue. Um, they launched it in the south of France. And um, as I always do with any car launch, I rang up the manufacturer in advance and said, who's going? Um, because you want me to, you'll want me to team up with someone and I, don't want, to make, I want to make sure that I don't have to share a car with an idiot. Um, and they went, well, uh, this is the list of people that are going, but actually it's an odd number of people. So we've got one car which um, doesn't need to have two people in it. Um, so you can have that if you like. Whoopee. Yeah? Mm. Have a car Bingo. for yourself. Fantastic. Bingo. So I turn up on the south front, very happy, um, and they're doing the car allocation, and um, the Ford PR man comes up to me and goes, oh, yeah, a slight change of plan. Uh, there was an American journalist who was meant to turn up on the previous way, but he missed his plane, so he's here now. So would you mind sharing with him? Oh, joy. Um, so I don't think well fair enough so so you know in those circumstances what I if, if I'm if, you know, if I'm driving with someone I haven't driven before and I don't know um, I just I just drive like Miss Daisy on the chauffeur's day off okay so I get in the car I drive the car first um, and I just you know, show how I think yeah. is you know <laughs> I, I would like the car to be in, in the hope that he gets the hint and so we got to the coffee stop, where, as you know, is where, you, where you change drivers. And I, was knew, I knew I was in trouble when he reached into his, into his rucksack that he had with him and pulled out his Ferrari baseball cap and then uh. put it on his head the wrong way around. <laughs> Here we go. And he then just drove down. I think we were on the Col de Vence. And he just drove like a complete idiot. Not just way too fast, but so clearly lacking any kind of road sense at all you're sitting there thinking how can this blow earn a living out of you know driving cars and writing about them um and you get that but and you would have had this with you know people you shared cars and you could suddenly you know you, you come up against another car and you think oh thank goodness yeah. you know we're going to be held up yeah yeah and, you know, and, and you just think well you know, the, you know you can't overtake down here there's just not and anyway so he decided that he was going to overtake this thing um, because a short straight had opened up. What he hadn't seen was coming up the short, and it's quite remarkable that he hadn't seen this, but he hadn't. Coming up the short straight towards us was a peloton cyclist. There must have been about Oof. 30 cyclists coming up here. And I was just thinking, well, he's going to bail out. He has to bail out. I mean, you know, he is going to drive into 30 cyclists unless he bails out, and he didn't bail out. And the only thing which just stopped an utter catastrophe happening was there was just one of those, you know, those big sort of rough lay-by gravelly areas at the side of the road. And all the cyclists just piled onto that. I mean, they must have been, you know, because if you're at the back of that peloton, you must have just sort of seen something happen and just reacted mm. with everybody else. And so they all threw themselves onto this and he went past. I mean, it was just the most, I don't even imagine what could have happened if they hadn't done that. But he wasn't going to lift. He was going Bloody past come what now. And I yeah, think what happened was that he, is that he just realised that he'd made such a tit of himself that he just thought, I've got to see this through to prove that I was right in doing this. Um, and do you know what the worst thing about it all was? I didn't, didn't say mention anything. it. Yeah. I didn't say anything. 
<coughs> we're down, we, you know, we, That's we, your we British stuff, isn't it? At, at the bottom of the hill. And what I should have said was just, you know, if you, you know, either I'm driving um, mm. or I'm getting out, you choose. Uh, and I would have just, I didn't even know I would have had a mobile then, I probably would. Um, I wouldn't have cared. You know, it was just... I mean, he, he. I think he did realise that he that he'd cocked up massively because I don't remember any further incidents or any after that. But you know, he could have um, he, he could have killed people. Absolutely. The ridiculous thing is, to us Brits, it seems impolite to say something, doesn't it? Which is, <clears throat> I was, bonkers. you know, I, I was almost as angry with myself as I was with him for not saying anything. It was yeah. pathetic. Yeah, yeah. Abs- yeah. I should have, I, sh- I should have, you know, torn him a new one. I really should, but I didn't. I just sat there thinking, oh God, please let this be over. Ah, oh, yeah, mm. that's not good. Um, <clears throat> anything else you want to say about road? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, where do you want to start? Um, yeah, parking. Can we do parking? <laughs> okay. Parking. Well, I mean, you know, parking. You know, people who park. You know, so so, so you have, you have parked in your space in the supermarket, and we know that in you know in car parks and supermarkets, the space is provided where they I mean they're all designed for when cars are a lot smaller than they are now. So you so mm. you park right in the middle of your space. Um, because in the middle of a space is the only way you can park while being considerate to the people who park to your left and your right. And then someone just comes and parks on, on your right-hand side because they only have to get out of their right-hand door, uh, which means you can't get in. You, you literally can't get into your car. I mean, this actually happened to me at Silverstone once, actually in the I-8. Uh, I, was, I don't know what I was doing there, but I was, uh, I was at Silverstone. Um, and because the I-8 has those dihedral doors, if someone parks too close to you, you literally can't get in the car. Um, it's not a question of, you know, it being a bit awkward or a bit uncomfortable, a bit painful. You know, you literally can't get in the car. So what I'd done was um, there, were the, there was this big parking area. And I think it was on the outside of Cops or somewhere. But anyway, so, you know, and there was a car to left of me. Absolutely fine. doesn't matter at all. And to the right, there was a big hatched yellow area saying no parking here. So I thought, fantastic, perfect. I'll just park in this space and no one can park next to me. And I got back at the end of the day and somebody had... <laughs> yeah um, that's annoying so i got him towed did you yeah how'd you manage absolutely. that um i i i i i i i had a chat with someone um and <laughs> they had a chat with someone and we got him towed so he what would have come is, back in his car with, yeah sorry? That's what, there you go what's so frustrating is when you're trying to look after your car so you park well out of the way and then someone parks right next to you there's nothing else around. Loads of other spaces. <laughs> yeah, but it's happened, isn't it? And he parks right next to you. Oh. Yes. Okay. Uh, people who... <laughs> we always say this. Uh, I shouldn't laugh because it's unbelievably dangerous. But, you know, people um, on really cold days um, when there's lots of frost on the car and they just rub away a little yeah. sort of key, keyhole on the windscreen and think that yeah. they, well, because they can see the road in front of them, that somehow makes them safe. And you see these, you see these people in these completely frosted up cars. Um, that winds me up. It's, <clears throat> that is, it is frustrating sitting there waiting for the fans to do anything because they can take bloody ages when it's really iced up. But that's purely because, and, and you're thinking, yeah. I'm going to be late, I'm going to be late, but it's entirely your fault for not leaving enough time. Yes, and they have these things called scrapers. Yeah, yeah. Use it. It doesn't t- honestly. It doesn't take long to scrape. You know, a bit of your. You know, because what you do is you start your engine, um, and you get your heated rear window on, and then you start going around the rest of it, and you find that even in the time it takes you to clear you know, your windscreen, then you know the, the 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 sides are starting to defrost, and you know, and it's it doesn't take that long. Mm. Mm. If the car's fogged really... up, it can take longer because you don't want to wipe it, do you? Um, no, but it's a that's a very good one. Um, have you got more? Um, well, I think driving. Yeah, okay. I mean, this is the big one, um, and this is a really uh, what's the word? Not controversial. It's 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 it's, it's a very sensitive issue. Um, driving too slow. Mm. Oh God! Yeah, we had one recently here actually, and it's. It's it's dangerous and it's massively infuriating. You know, when people are literally doing on a 60 road, 60, 60 mile an hour country lane, 25 miles an hour with a queue of traffic behind them. Yeah. And it makes... Um, Jasper Carrot once did a sketch about... Well, I think it might have even been a mother-in-law joke, um, for which, you know, it doesn't matter who it was, but he did this sketch about somebody who 
I've been driving for 50 years and um, never had an accident, but seen thousands. Mm. Um, and that's it. That's what happens, isn't it? Um, people drive along at, and we have talked about this on the podcast before, but they, you know, they, yeah, as you say, they're on, they're, they're on a big A road, but it's winding. And, you know, and again, that road that goes where, near where we live, although it's exactly like that. It's a winding road. Um, you know, the speed limit is 60 miles an hour. I don't mind if people are doing 50. Yeah. Um, that's absolutely fine. But if people are doing 28, um, it is frustrating. Uh, and you can see other road users getting angry. Um, and what what infuriates me most about it is what happens is they're doing 28 and they suddenly get into a village and somehow that makes them feel sort of safe and secure. So they speed up. And um, you know, mm. most of the villages around here, because most of the villages around here are in, are in Wales, um, are now 20 mile an hour limits. Um, and so you get to the point where they're absolutely nowhere, you know, they're less than half the speed limit in open countryside when you can go quite quick. And then you get into a built up area and they're suddenly breaking the speed limit by 20, 30%. Um, mm. And yeah, it's what they make. You know, you cannot condone, um, you know, dangerous overtaking, whatever speed, you know, the car at the front of the queue has been doing for however long they've been doing it. But, you know, we wouldn't be human if you weren't tempted and you didn't feel that frustration and you weren't wound up by it. And although you don't agree with people who do it, um, and you would never say that the subsequent accident was anything else than their fault, you do understand why it happens, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. So, do you think? Do you think there should be a requirement to be able to drive in clear conditions on an open road at I don't know eighty percent of the speed limit? I mean, it's, been, it's been impossible to believe. You couldn't start prosecuting people for driving too slowly, or maybe you can. I think it actually is. Is it an offence in the highway code to be driving too slowly? I don't know, actually. I don't know. I mean, but this is... You're right. It is a sensitive issue. It's a tricky one. But well, it is, but you and I... Co- Sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, you and I are going to do a test soon. I'm not going to give it away. But one of the cars won't do more than 30 miles an hour. Oh, yes, that test. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be a <laughs> well, fun one. Yes, it's going to be a fun one. Um, yeah, well, that, 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 that is true. But at the same time, if you say that you have to be able to drive down an A road at 50 miles an hour, what you will be saying to an awful lot of people is you can't drive a car anymore. Mm. Um, That's true. Because, you know, because they don't feel safe doing that. Um, and these are usually you know, elderly people. And you know, who are we to say you shouldn't be on the road anymore? Um, I don't know. It's a it's a really contentious contentious is the word I was looking for. It's a really contentious mm. issue, and I don't think that there are any right answers. But I suspect it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning in context to cyclists. There just needs to be more understanding, doesn't there, um, mm. and more patience. Um, but it also cuts both ways. I mean, I, you know, if and this does. It happens to me a little bit um, when I'm out in my two CV, which really isn't a very fast car. And if I'm going up a steep hill on it, it's a really, it's an unbelievably <laughs> slow car. Um, you may be about to find this out. Um, I mean, you know, there are hills around here. It won't do 20 miles an hour up. Um, and if I find myself, I mean, I try to avoid them to be honest, but, you know, sometimes I can't. And if I find myself in that situation and I see three or four cars behind me, all I'm do- doing is looking for somewhere to pull over. I yeah. hate the idea yeah. of holding yeah. people up. I hate the idea of all those people hating me and, and, and of all the things I'm making them late for. And I suspect that a lot of it's in my mind because I think most people are sitting there thinking, oh, that's a nice old car. We'll be at the top of the hill soon. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but to me, I'm just thinking, oh, you know, I'm causing the problem here. What can I do to stop it? But yeah. Yeah. And you just feel so, that I mean, pressure, don't you? And the, the eyeballs on the, the back of your neck. Yeah I, I, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, Driving etiquette. Well, that yeah. was a bit of a there rant, wasn't it? What? <laughs> I'm sure we, I'm sure we missed a few things that wind people up. But it'd be interesting to hear you all, um, hear what you all think. Let us know on Instagram or Twitter or anything. It'd be fun to hear from you. Um, okay, we've got a listener question coming up in a moment. Before that, let me just remind you all to rate and review the podcast. It's really important. You do do it. So thank you, everybody, to to everybody who's done it so far. If you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast yet, why not do it now? It really helps. Um, Okay, the listener question is from Thomas R. And this is about our industry. He says, lots of the car magazines I used to enjoy reading have disappeared. Enzo, Vantage, Modern Classics, Private Motor Club and others. What's going on? And are others in peril? Yes. 
okay what's yeah. going on um is that advertising has fallen off a cliff um you know magazines to be i'm honest with you the magazine business has been in trouble since you know the original well not the original slump, but since the last big slump in 2007 2008 um and things have um not really recovered because you know there's been the double hit of advertising revenues falling through the floor and also the migration to online um and you know there are people who will tell you that it's a it's a dying business and you know there there isn't a magazine that i work for um that you know isn't feeling the pinch um some more than others um and as thomas r says you know all those magazines um the bmw magazine is gone the porsche magazine i used to write for is gone um so many of them are gone and 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 so yes i think you'd be naive to think that somehow all of the others that are still clinging on are, are absolutely fine. I suspect they're probably not. Um, and it's really, really very difficult. And, you know, it's, it's two things arising from this. It's one reason we, um, our business, the TI business, the web and the app site, the, web, um, the website and the app don't have an advertising model attached to them um, because we know how vulnerable that makes the business. Uh, and also because you end up writing what they want you to write rather than what you want to write. Um, and I've completely forgotten what the second thing was. Good. Um, that went well, didn't it? <laughs> well, that's fine. I mean, you're, you're right. Magazines are, I think, having a, a tough time of it. Um, I suppose if you want them to hang around, you've got to go out and buy them. Um, and I, I, so what I hope is that it's not motoring journalism that's in peril but just a form of motoring journalism. And I hope that in the future, there are other ways that our, um, our vocation can flourish, whether it's different media like this, like YouTube, digital publishing. Um, I just hope that we, there is a future and a bright future for what we do, um, yeah. even if the printed form has a tough time. And I think I think that you know it's like people always said that you know you know vinyl was dead when compact discs came along and that you know film was dead when TV came along. You mm. know what tends to happen is that they tend to find a way, don't they? Uh, and they come mm. back. Um, well, the film's case bigger and better than ever, but even in vinyl's case, um, you know the vinyl industry is nothing like it was, but it is a thriving niche business now. And I suspect that that is what will happen. I think that there will be, you know, I'm interested in the fortunes of these, you know, these big quarterly, quarterly glossy magazines like Magneto and Road Rat, um, which have very high production values, very expensive to buy. Um, but I suspect, and I don't know, um, that that's the long-term future for those sorts of things. Um, they'll probably be subscription only, um, so you won't find them in, in news agents because you know the cost of distribution is um, is so great. Um, but who knows? Um, it is you know it is if you look at the readerships of you know every magazine certainly that I've ever contributed to in however long I've been doing this compared to what it was like in the late nineteen eighties when I started. Mm. Um, it's. You know, frankly, the surprise is that there are, are there are as many still around today that there, as there are because if you actually looked at the numbers, you think, well, how could you possibly survive? Mm. Uh, I think, that, and I think what happens is the way they survive is they make money from their websites, um, and the and the magazines are increasingly lost leaders for them. Um, mm. I don't know, but yeah, uh, no, the situation is bad. I cannot see it getting any better, particularly as we move into. Um, into a recession and you know and I, and, and I love this business um, I've been so I've been proud to write for so many really really great magazines I hope they all survive I really really do and not just because you know I still earn a bit of my living from them but because I think car magazines are, are great things if you could look around this office you'll find you know <laughs> not here that's books but that way is just walls mm. of magazines um, which I love and I cherish and you know I hope to continue um, you know filling up for years to come yeah indeed Thomas, thank you for your question. Get your questions across and we'll end next week's podcast with another.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.